Well, Lord Jesus, we do just thank you for this morning, this chance to come together as a, a church family, as a body, and, and worship you together, and a chance to hear from you. Lord, I pray that as we just review the, the events from that um, first Christmas, the, the birth of the Christ, that you would speak to us, you would give us each something fresh, something from you to us this morning. God, please give us ears to hear, give us um, this grace even to respond and obey whatever you might show us or put on our hearts here, but we look to you to redeem our few minutes left together this morning, and we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're... Um, we're going to fly through this a little bit here. Uh, one, got a late start just with our uh, technology glitch. Two, because this is week three of the series, I've had three times longer to, to think about it than Greg and Brad did. And so I have three times more things to share. So it's not going to happen. Um, this morning we had to cut out uh, a bunch of it as well. But we'll, we're going to fly through what we can here. Anyways, just a quick recap. Um, I am going to be pointing at Tyler. He is my clicker here. So uh, first, Greg kicked off the series with um, uh, talking about the wise men, things that were true about the wise men, things that were not, things that we can leverage from their story there. The, uh, I call them the magi. I think Greg calls them the magi, and um, he's more sophisticated than I, so I might go with his pronunciation there. Uh, Brad last week talked about really the, uh, you might say, the star of Christmas. He talked about Jesus and how he would be called Emmanuel. God with us, and how his name, Jesus, means uh, the Lord saves, and, and really, Brad hit on things, the, the peace and the joy that Jesus can bring to our lives through Christmas and, and through life in general, but he hit on the star, and Greg hit on the... Um, on the Magi here. This morning we're going to look at maybe a few lessons from some of the other supporting cast from that first Christmas scene. Uh, we're going to look uh, uh, briefly at, uh, you know, we're just going to do a flyover and touch a little bit on the shepherds and, and on Mary and also just close things with a review of the Magi as well and just see what we can leverage from their, uh, their involvement with the first Christmas story into our scene today as, as we look to be a part of of his story. I want to share a few quotes with you just to kind of set the stage and you're thinking about um, uh, the importance of the event of Christmas and then uh, in order to leverage lessons from that to kind of see where we are in the story of history um, today. But uh, anyways, a few quotes here. This one, uh, some of you know this uh, Shakespeare one here. Anyone know where this comes from? Some, some of you drama buffs might, as you like it. Uh, act 2, scene 7, from uh, and the famous line here, just all the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. You know, the idea that, that life is, this world is like a stage in our lives, and we, we play our parts, and we come and go. And, you know, to some degree, I think Shakespeare was on to something there, uh, I think it overlaps with things we would see to be true in the Bible. Let's look at a, another quote here. This one's from H.G. Uh, Wells. He was um, a historian earlier in the, in the 1900s and an author as well on things related to history. But he said this. He said, I am a historian and not a believer, uh, but I must confess as a historian that this penny 
clueless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. This guy who was not a believer, who was a historian, would say Jesus is the center of history. History is framed around him. And and we would know that to be true in, in a Christian sense of life before Jesus was B.C., before Christ. Life after his birth, we know A.D. And so... Um, uh, I like this quote better. This next one here is from a guy that I would have more things in common with, uh, Rick Warren. He says this. I think this is from his Purpose Driven Life book. But he just said there, There's a grand designer behind everything. Your life is not a result of random chance, fate, or luck. There is a master plan. History is his story. God is pulling the strings. You know, I love that idea that history really is can be framed based on His story, the story of the Christ. And we're just going to do a quick review of some milestones in history before we look at some things we can leverage from... Um, from the shepherds and Mary and, and the wise men here. But uh, just, you know, Act 1, I like to call it, is, is the creation. That God created this world. He created it perfectly. And He created us perfectly for loving relationship. You see this in uh, Genesis one thirty one, where He just said, at the end of it all, He said, and it was very good. He created it very good. And think about the great commandment. Jesus said, here's, here's the greatest thing for you and I, and it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And what I get out of that is that God created you and I for loving relationship, using our heart and our mind, our soul, our strength even. And um, But, you know, uh, we know what happened. It was created perfectly and we take a look around and go, well, it doesn't look perfect to me. Why all this pain and suffering? And, well, the next act is the fall. You would know that the players on the stage at the time were Adam and Eve and the serpent, the devil, and he tempted them and they sinned and they brought brokenness into a world that was made perfectly. And they brought brokenness into man's relationship with God. You know, Isaiah 59 two would say that um, our sins, your sins have separated you from your God. And not only has it brought separation between us and God, but the New Testament goes on to say the wages for, of sin is death. When we sin against God, when we violate His laws, we're actually violating His very character and we earn an eternal punishment for violating our eternal Creator. And here is the act related to Christmas. The birth of the Christ, the Savior, enters into the world. God became one of us as a part of His plan for rescuing us, redeeming us. And that's what we're going to look at here this morning related to to the shepherds and Mary and the wise men. And then Act 4 is, you know, not only was the Christ born, He became one of us, but he, he was born to die, to die for my sins and yours. And then he rose again to give proof that he could pay for our sins, to give proof that he had authority to grant eternal life. That's Act 4, and that's been completed. And those on the scene at the time were the apostles. That They, they were the witnesses to his life, to his death, to his resurrection. They recorded it. And uh, they gave their lives testifying that it was true. And we have their accounts today. And, and yet we are in the final act of the history of the world. Act 5, 
is we await only the return of the Christ, where he closes things down, certain milestones, and this act will be the rapture, where he removes his church from the planet. And then the wrath of God is expressed physically on the earth. And then there is a reckoning, the judgment. And then after that, the Christ will take his bride in heaven forever. And and then there will be those who will be shut out from his presence forever as well. But this is the kind of frames, the bigger picture in which that first Christmas occurred, the birth of the Christ. And, and really what we want to do is just kind of try to see what can we learn from the shepherds, from Mary, and from the wise men. What can, can we learn about God from the, the roles that they played? And how can we leverage that into our stage today, the final stage, waiting for His return? And so we're going to just touch on some of these lightly. We're not going to be able to go into each one of these as paragraphs about them. We're just going to be able to touch lightly on them here and, and make the most of that. And then we're, we're going to actually close with a time of just uh, remembering his death and, and awaiting his return. So um, uh, we're going to take communion together here at the end. But um, this next, we're just going to look at the shepherds real quickly here and um, just highlight uh, well, the key, you know, the key to it also. In some ways, um, you know, everyone who was a part of the supporting cast, uh, they were, in a lot of ways, they were underdogs. They were maybe looked down upon in their in society. I think about the shepherds. They were kind of at the bottom of the pecking order of the social status. They were not the educated. They were not the political or spiritual elite. They were shepherds, you know, and they, they watched over the sheep. I think of Mary. Mary, in her culture, she was a young woman who was uh, yet to be married, but in, in that world she was uh, would be considered an underdog in society. She would be one who had little status there, and yet she had a huge role to play in the birth of the Christ. And then we, we think of the Magi, the, they were out-of-towners. They were in the Jewish culture. They were the dreaded Gentiles, like many of us. We were not Jewish, not the, the people of God by birth. Um, and so uh, they were, again, foreigners who played a huge part, but uh, again, you might consider them as underdogs. But as we look at the roles that they played and the roles that we might play, you know, it's not just any underdog gets to be a part of God's story. Here's God, he's doing his thing, and he's looking for people to, to help out and be a part of his story, and you're an underdog, great, so am I. Let's, you know. But that's not the way it works. There's a lot of underdogs who were not a part of his story. There's a lot of people who are uh, have little status in society today who will not be a part of the final act of the return of Christ. They, they won't have a role to play. But uh, one verse I just want to have us look at to unlock, I, I think, some of the reasons why these others were included in the story of Christ. And it's this verse here, Isaiah 66, 2. You might know this. Uh, God is talking at this point and he says, look, I created the heavens and the earth. The heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. I made all of this. But here's something I want to let you know. This is the one I esteem. In my creation, here's the one I look to. Um, I think King James, its literal version says, this is who I look to. Uh, the poor and contrite in spirit. This says humble, contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And some of you might know this verse. Uh, you know, be humble and contrite in spirit. Contrite carries the idea with it of, of like a bruise. You know, when you get a bruise... Um, 
I got one the other day. You know, you ever get those bruises? You have no idea why you got it. I got a big old one on my leg the other day. And, um, but when you touch a bruise, it's, it's sensitive. You respond pretty quickly like with an ouch or swinging at someone, however it works, you know, in your family. But um, um, that, that idea that God uses those who are humble and contrite in spirit. And I love how the message puts this. You know, again, God says, there is something, there is something I'm looking for. A person simple and plain, reverently responsive to what I say. There's a sensitivity, a responsiveness, and I believe this was present in every person who was a part of that first birth of Christ, the first Christmas scene there. And, and you know, God hasn't changed His mind on this. If you're going to be a part of His story in the closing act before His return, before the rapture, before all of this, God is still looking for men and women who are humble and, and contrite in spirit, who are uh, reverently responsive to what he has to say and what he would have for your role to play. And um, so let's look quickly at the shepherds here, but um, their whole story is in Luke chapter 2 here, but we're just going to hit on a verse or two. And, um, you know, this one kind of, I think, catches some of the idea here, but it just says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. You know the rest of the story. The angel spoke to them and told them about the Christ being born and a sign how they would find them. And, um, you know, I love how it says, verse 16 just says, They hurried off to see uh, what the angels had told them. They, they were responsive. They were told, hey, the, the Christ, the child, the Savior has been born. And, and here's how you could find them. And it said they hurried off. They seemed very responsive. They, they reacted quickly. Um, uh, and the shepherds were, were humble and faithful witnesses. You know, the part I want to draw out about these shepherds is that they were, they were, they were humble. I mean, that was kind of a way of life for them. I guess you could have been a shepherd and still been proud. But as a way of life, you would have tended to be more humble down to earth as a shepherd. But they were faithful. These guys were on, on, you know, being a shepherd is not a glorious thing, but being a shepherd on the night watch was probably really not glorious, you know. And I don't know how many of you have ever had a night shift job before anyone had to do the night shift. It's, it's not, I mean, unless you're a night person, I guess. It's not a glorious thing. Most people don't seek like, hey, can I have the night shift? You know, it's, it's Christmas Eve, can I do the night shift? Um, these guys were, uh, they were on the night shift, and, and they were awake. And they were watching, and they were just being faithful with the duties God had placed before them. Uh, I remember once in college, I was uh, uh, I worked uh, a summer. I did an internship with IBM, and then after that, my friend and I said, "Hey, semester's over. Let's go to the beach and work on the beach." And we went to Ocean City, Maryland. We worked at a hotel there. And he worked for maintenance, and I worked for security. And I got the night shift. You know, it was not cool. It was back back. I, I date myself on this, uh, but it was back in 1993 the summer of 93 and um, I'm working security in the night shift and I didn't have a gun you know and, and I didn't have mace and back then they didn't even have cell phones you know I'm looking back on it kind of wondering what would I have done if something bad happened you know run I think is mostly what I would have done but um, you know one thing I did have was this little um swiper thing. You had to walk around the perimeter. You had to walk up the different towers of the hotel and you had to swipe different uh, places there just to it tracked that you had been there. And so it looked like a taser though. So my advantage was I, it looked like I had a taser. You're going to come at me, I'm going to tase you. Um, <clears throat> would not have happened. They would have probably killed me. But um, 
But anyways, what, what it did though for my boss was let him know that I was not asleep on the night shift. I had a coworker, another guy who was, uh, he had I think multiple jobs, but he thought, hey, this would be a cushy job, the night shift. I sleep during the night. I work my other jobs during the day. I get paid for both. And, and he got fired, you know, because he wasn't swiping his checkpoints. But all of that to say is the shepherds were being faithful with their job that was um, not an exciting job, the mundane, and they were faithful with it. But we've got to realize, we've got to catch in this. Jesus went on to teach that um, if you can be faithful with the small things, you can be faithful with the big things. And they were being faithful with their night shift here. And they were just being faithful with providing for their families and doing what God had before them. And they were prompted about this thing, uh, about the Christ being born. And they hurried off and, and they showed up. But in they're being faithful with the little things, these guys were a part of, of something enormous. They were actually the first witnesses to the Christ. They were, I would say they were maybe the first case of evangelism that ever happened was the shepherds showing up and saying, there's the Savior. And, you know, this angel told us it'd be in this manger and as a sign to us, and, and there's the Savior. And, you know, sometimes we can think evangelizing in our day and age is challenging. Um, but can you imagine, like, telling people about Jesus the Savior while he was in, in the manger in the crib there, you know, with hay on him or whatever. Um, that, but, but they faithfully did their job. They faithfully testified to those who were at the scene. I don't know who all was there. Mary, Joseph, maybe some others. Um, but they faithfully testified about the Savior. And, but, you know, in all this, I just want to encourage us to... God uses those who are, are reverently responsive to, to what He has before us. And, and they were faithful. And, and God met them in the middle of their mundane. And He allowed them to see the birth of the Christ who divided the history of mankind into two and they were there and that's a big deal faithfulness is a big deal to God and uh, let's look at Mary just a little bit here um, so they were they were faithful uh, witnesses there faithful workers but Mary um, I love this when the angel first showed up to talk to her Gabriel shows up to talk to Mary and he says greetings you who are highly favored you know that terminology is real similar to the Hebrews wording for highly esteemed you know this is the same Gabriel Gabriel who spoke to Daniel and he wrote he showed up to Daniel when he had been praying and fasting and seeking God and he says you are highly esteemed by God he says the same thing to Mary I tend to think she was one who was humble and contrite in spirit reverently responsive to what God had for her and the thing that stands out to me about Mary though is you know I can't even imagine having that role in, in this story. She is not yet married. She's never slept with a man. She's engaged. And, and she's told, by the way, you're going to carry a baby. You're going to carry a baby. Someone else's baby here. As a matter of fact, it's God's son. And you're going to carry this baby. And, you know, she, she was like, I love her response. Hey, look, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I'm here to serve in any way, in any role, in anything you want me to do. And she went on to carry a baby inside her for nine months. And and she had never known a man. And she was, you know, Joseph went on to marry her. But can you imagine in their culture, we know the Jewish culture was if you were found pregnant and you were not married, and you were found pregnant by someone you were not married to, 
the, the sentence was death. You'd be executed. And here she was, going to be pregnant, not yet married. It was really controversial. And, you know, she just stepped into it in faith and said, Look, I'm the Lord's servant here, and, and I'll do whatever you need. And it goes on to say later in that same chapter, you know, Elizabeth just said, It's because you believed what the Lord told you, that, that you're blessed. And her example to us... I think reverently responsive, but she was she was a faith-filled servant. You know, in order to be a faithful worker or a faithful witness, we've got to be a faith-filled servant. We've got to go, you know what, I don't know how I'm going to carry out this faithful, you know, things you want me to do here, but we've got to have faith. We've got to be, she was reminded by the angel Gabriel right before this verse 38 that um, nothing is impossible with God. And, and she believed that. And she played a role in, in his story that I would say maybe is unrivaled by any other person who's ever lived. And if we want to be a part of his story in significant ways, we need to be faith-filled and a servant like her. So uh, last one we're going to look at here is just the the Magi again. you know. And, and Greg opened up the series talking about them. And I'm just going to touch uh, uh, lightly on this as, as we close the series. But, you know, they said, We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Later on it says they, they found the child and Mary. And I love how it says, you know, this verse 12, that they found Mary and the child and they bow down and worshiped him. Some people are confused on who should be worshipped between Mary and, and the Christ. And, and he bowed down in that scene. They worshipped the Christ. And um, the points here just, they were, you know, Greg explained how these, the Magi were, were likely those who were a part of Daniel's world back in Babylon. And they were the astronomers and the magicians and those. And, and somehow they became aware of this God of Israel through Daniel. Daniel was a man known for his integrity, even in, in Babylon. And he served Nebuchadnezzar and he served uh, the Persians and the Medes and their kingdoms. And, um, and somehow he, he brought the scriptures in that. He brought a credibility to that, that they, they became aware of Daniel and his God. And the thing that just catches me here is that somehow they, they also became aware of the prophecy Greg shared in Numbers 24 that talks about there will be a star that seems related to uh, the Savior who was to come. And, um, and But that was, Daniel's life was between 500 and 600 B.C. And, and he connected with these Magi type people and and so it wasn't until almost 500 years later this order of astronomers eventually were on the scene for the birth of the Christ. And talk about being patient, you know. Um, and they, they did not live 500 years like, oh, I'm really old now. I sure hope he comes soon. They probably taught this to one generation and the things that they knew about astronomy and about the God of the Bible and the scriptures they had been exposed to through through Daniel and the exiles. And, and they passed it on from one generation to the next, to the next, till eventually the time came when they go, you know what? We're we're expecting Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 as Greg shared he, he foretells when this Messiah would be hitting the scene of the planet when he would come as king and, and kind of from there you could calculate well here's about when he would be born and they were watching the stars and somehow after 500 years they saw it they saw his star and they set out to Jerusalem to find out where the Christ was born and uh, unbelievably patient you know and that's a great example for us and um, you know just 
read a verse here recently in the one-year Bible as we were going through it, but it just reminded me of the patience that we're called to here. And it was from, um, let's see, it's in James chapter 5. And it says this in the New Living Translation, verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. And it says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. And these guys were patient, but what a great example to us of of waiting. Waiting for the Christ's return. Not His birth, not His death or resurrection, but His return to bring it all to closure and and bring it into eternity. And we need to be patiently watching like they were. Um, We need to stay awake. You know, um, I think it would be easy to just... uh, Jesus said this about um, staying awake in Mark um, 13 and 34. He said, um, The Son of Man 